Well, good morning, everybody. Like my lovely wife said, in case you didn't know, that is my lovely wife. Like she said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who is visiting with us for the very first time. Also, welcome to anybody who's listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings. And before I begin the message this morning, I just want to mention that this week, maybe if you're newer to our church, you may not know uh, that we are connected to a broader association of churches. Shannon mentioned that our national conference is this upcoming summer, but you may not know that we're a part of a larger association, a larger network of churches called the Vineyard Movement, or we call it Vineyard USA. And so there's about 650 or so vineyard churches in the United States, another 1,500 or so around the world. And uh, this week, um, all of the national, uh, regional, and area leaders from around the country uh, are coming to Chicago for our national uh, leaders meeting. We'll spend the first three days of this week in meetings, hearing from folks like Ed Stetzer, and just sort of getting some vision for the new year. The back half of this week will be spent uh, uh, with the Vineyard National Executive Team, or the Vineyard National Board, will be uh, having uh, one of the two meetings that we'll have for the year. And so a lot of our national leaders will be uh, in Chicago. They typically have this meeting. They typically send us to Fort Lauderdale or to San Diego. For some reason, they didn't want to have it in Chicago. I'm grateful that I don't have to travel, but I'm I'm excited to have uh, all these national leaders. So would you please be prayerful this week? A lot of things get decided in these meetings. A lot of good for the year comes out of us gathering together with all of our national leaders present. So would you do that? It also is worth mentioning that if you didn't know this, that I have the privilege of sitting on the national board for uh, uh, the Association of Vineyard Churches. And one of my, I guess my portfolio, if you could use that expression, is to help our movement move and press into deeper areas of diversity. So not just on the national level, but also trickling down to the national uh, to, the, to the local church level. And this year, we will have five people of color on our board. Now, if you go back six or seven years, there were no people of color on the national board. And so you imagine this is the body of people that set the strategic direction for our movement. And then this political climate, I can't imagine not having voices of color at the table as we figure out our way forward for this movement. So three African-American men, an Asian sister from the East Coast, and our sweet Puerto Rican sister from Mayaguez, Puerto Rico. And so would you just pray also that the Lord will continue to uh, diversify our movement as he diversifies our local churches. Also, if you see um, my friend Ryan is here from the national office. He's taking some video and captures the video of our church today. So just be yourself. Don't try to pose or anything like that. Just be natural as he captures uh, (laughs) the flavor of our weekend service here uh, this this week. And so one other thing before I begin the message, tomorrow begins a month-long sabbatical for me. Uh, Many of you know that this 2018 was consumed with um, uh, getting into this building and pursuing this building campaign and fixing up this place. We also had all sorts of things, and it was just a whirlwind year. Lots of good things, but 2018 just about wore me out. And so our board uh, uh, suggested and agreed to having uh, a month-long sabbatical for me, which is I'm just not allowed to even be in the building for a month. I think that somebody might carry me off if I come on the grounds. That's probably not true. But, they, uh, but it's an opportunity for me to model rest and to uh, be able to pull away 
from the day-to-day of the church and to rest and to gather some fresh vision for us for the, for the next year. And so um, this will take place for the, the next calendar month. So from March 4th to April 4th, I will be on a month-long sabbatical. And you're probably wondering, Pastor, how can we help you rest? What can we do to help you rest? Well, I'll, I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. You can continue to show up, right? You, we can all get some rest, but just not at the same time, okay? So uh, there might be this temptation to say, oh, take a month off too. No, what, what you can do to help me is to continue to show up, to continue to serve, and to continue to faithfully support what God is doing here. The church will be in the very capable hands of our assistant pastor, uh, Pastor David, and his wife, uh, Jenny, uh, who will, will lead you very well during that month. Please don't call me unless somebody's dying, okay? <laughs> or close to dying. Or you feel like this is something that I just need to do. I'm really trying to model rest. I will be respecting those boundaries pretty closely. And so don't take that personal. If I don't return your calls or emails right away, I am trying to uh, do what I'm supposed to do on this. And so if you would direct any questions to Pastor David or anything like that. But please just continue to engage, continue to invite the Spirit of the Lord does not rest solely on me. I think he still might come to this meeting if, it's not, if I'm not here. If he doesn't, there's something wrong, right? And so continue to engage. And please pray for me. Pray for my family and pray for my wife as we engage this time of rest. I think it's going to be good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let me begin. Oh, okay. Hey, when you announced that you're leaving for a month and people started clapping, I don't really know how to, I don't know how to feel about that. Yes, about that. <laughs> we love you too, Michelle. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's get into the Word today. Uh, I'm continuing, actually concluding a series that I've been in for the last several weeks, a series that I'm simply calling Good Trouble. And I've heard through the uh, internets and through various other uh, people that this series has been really pivotal for you. It's been really challenging uh, for me to write these talks each week and to wrestle with this concept And for those of you unsure what this concept, Good Trouble, is, uh, Good Trouble came from um, one of my new heroes, uh, U.S. Representative John Lewis. He served uh, 5th District, I believe, of Georgia uh, since, I think, about 1987. And John Lewis not only serves as a U.S. Representative, but he was uh, a civil rights hero. He marched with Dr. King. He's one of the original Freedom Riders. And basically, if you listen to John's story, he talks about growing up in the Jim Crow South in the 40s and 50s, experiencing racism, seeing the signs that said colored and whites only and these sorts of things. And when he questioned his parents about it, his parents said, John, that's the way it is. Don't get in the way. And by all means, don't get into trouble, right? Well, as I've said week after week, as I've told this story, John had been listening to guys like Dr. Martin Luther King, and he, st- he decided to ignore his parents' advice and instead get into what he calls good trouble. Good trouble. And good trouble is that necessary trouble that one must get into if they want to change anything of, of significance in the world around us. If you look throughout the course of history, all the major shifts in social policies, all the major shifts... Uh, toward justice and equality have come as a result of brave men and women, hopefully like you and I, who looked at something and said, that's just not right. When all the other voices are saying, listen, be quiet, 
just be patient. This is just the way it is. Folks like Dr. Martin Luther King, folks like Mandela have decided, no, no, this isn't right. I'm going to stir the pot a little bit. I'm going to get into trouble, but this kind of trouble, this noble trouble, this kingdom trouble is good trouble. It's good trouble. And what we've been doing over the last few weeks is pondering the implications of this concept of good trouble on the kingdom life. Pondering the implications of what good trouble must look like and what it might mean for those who seek to do the kingdom work. If you've been a Christian for more than two weeks, you know that this is no cakewalk. It's not easy, right? Uh, We have been framing faith as a life of risk, a life that might get you into a bit of trouble. And what we've been saying is that often this kingdom life causes you to run toward the trouble rather than away from it. And I'm talking, of course, about good trouble. I've challenged you over these last three weeks not to be the type of Christians that simply go with the flow, that seek to blend in, but to stand out in all the best possible ways, especially at this particular time in our nation's history. And so this call to get into good trouble is not simply making sure that your heart particularly aligns well or falls on the right side of any issue, uh, but this whole notion of good trouble uh, leans toward the human factor. That oftentimes, as it relates to fighting for justice and equality and getting into good trouble, there are humans, real names, real social security numbers on the other side of that good trouble. And basically what that means for us is that as kingdom people who seek to get into good kingdom trouble, we root that understanding in God's heart for people to see and be saved, right? To see God to come into his kingdom, to come into his family, and to be saved. And because of that reality, we've challenged you to get angry, righteously angry. We've challenged you to show mercy because mercy is the oil of the kingdom. We challenged you last week to be resolute, be determined, be steadfast. Don't turn around at the first sign of trouble. And and as we conclude this series today, I want to talk about the subject of freedom, Right? What I've discovered is that you can't talk about good trouble, which includes a strong human factor. There are people tied to this good trouble. There are natural good kingdom results that are beneficial to humans, right? And the great benefit uh, that is the fruit of good trouble is often freedom. Freedom, which is defined as the power and right to act, speak, or think as one wants, without hindrance or restraint, or more simply put, the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Freedom. Freedom sits at the very core, very essence of our faith. It's what Christ is all about. I'm going to direct your attention briefly this morning to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says, when he, Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, 
that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus goes to the synagogue, goes to the temple, stands up to read the scripture that day, and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah, and in it was the messianic promise of what Messiah would do. Jesus finds this point and reads aloud the fact that he has come, empowered by the Spirit, to preach the good news, to set the captives free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This messianic promise that this Jewish audience would have been familiar with, this is what Messiah would do, and Jesus is basically saying, I'm the man. And he's not just handing out business cards here. He's saying, I'm the guy. This, I come to fulfill this. This is my mission statement. This is what I've come to do. At the core of what Jesus has come to do is to bring what? Freedom. To open the cages, to loose the shackles, to break the chains, the salvation message, the kingdom message, the mission of God. At the very center of it is what? Freedom, freedom, freedom. And if we are to continue the ministry of Jesus, if we are to extend the kingdom of God, which means that we push back against the kingdom of darkness, it has to be our mission as well to what? Loose the chains of the hearts and minds of people. Open the cages and take the chains off the actual wrists and ankles of those bound by all manner of imprisoning forces, both natural and supernatural Good trouble means that we're actively working to set the captives free. And so I want to talk about that this morning in a message I'm simply calling Cry Freedom. Each week we've given you something to do. Get angry, right? Show mercy. Be resolute, right? And this week, Cry Freedom. The center of our pursuit to get into good trouble as kingdom people is to cry freedom and set the captives free. I want to look at a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 16 this morning. Would you turn there with me in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you? If you're old school, go ahead and turn there in your Bible. If you'd like to turn there in a Bible, and you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the edges of some of the rows. Feel free to use that this morning. I won't also be mad at all if you're uh, interacting with the Scripture this morning on your tablet or on your phone. Go ahead and do that. Acts chapter 16. We'll also be projecting the words on the screens um, while you find that this morning. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word and your truth. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity, the privilege you've given me to preach your word. Father, we know that where the spirit of the Lord is, is freedom. There's liberty, and your spirit is here. Like, I think this is one of your favorite hangouts, right? And so we're thankful, Father, that your spirit is here. Would you teach us? Would you school us this morning? on this mandate to set the captives free, to bring liberty to those who are captives. Father, would you put the mirror of your scripture in front of us and give us a heart to just not receive, but to respond to the word this morning. Father, put power on these words that you've given me. Speak, move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said. Cry freedom. Acts chapter 16. Excuse me, and we'll start at verse 16. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us 
um, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Verse 18, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said uh, to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he had everyone in his household, he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now, this is another fascinating story. It's actually one of my favorites. You say say that about all the texts, they're all my favorites, right? (laughs) But this is one of my, it's a fascinating story, right? And I believe that this captures well this picture of good trouble. Like if I just had to pick one text, if I couldn't do four or five week series, if I just had to pick one text, I picked this text because like it's, it's all here, right? Paul and Silas ministering, dealing with the issues and realities of being a force for good, a force for kingdom good is a perfect snapshot of people on mission. Kingdom guys doing kingdom things crying for freedom, and getting into good trouble. And so I think this text today, if we'll we'll allow it, gives us a grid, gives us a framework for how we should look at the world around us and how we should move forward, given this new charge to get into the good, best kind of trouble. I want to pull out five things as we walk through this text today. The first thing this text shows us in light of our goal here today is that there are captives everywhere. There are captives everywhere. And by captives, I mean there are people bound by something, bound with something everywhere you look. You simply just got to, you know, look up from your phone every now and then and see it. It's striking to me that when I leave my house full of myself, consumed with all the cares and things that I have to figure out, I totally miss what God is doing around me. Isn't that true? 
I, I totally don't have eyes to see. I'm so preoccupied. I'm impatient. All sorts of signs of trauma and stress and people in need of some kingdom-like action are all around me, but I can't even see it. I don't perceive it because I'm not, I'm not interruptible. I'm not interruptible. And hopefully what this message does to you today is it shakes you, not too hard, just, just enough so you know that you've been shaken, awakens you to this reality that there are captives everywhere. And that wouldn't mean anything unless you are called as an extension of God's arm to set those captives free. This would be of only special interest to you as a casual information unless you discovered that you were called, you were commissioned to bring freedom to these captives. The first reality today is that there are captives all around us. We see it in this text. They say they met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She was a fortune teller. And not only that, she earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. And not only that, she had apparently taken a liking to Paul and his ministry companion Silas and was following them around, flattering them. These men are servant of the Most High God and have come to tell you, you all how to be saved, right? And so Paul gets tired of this and he deals with it. But this woman, make no mistake, she is slave. In a very natural sense, she is the property of someone else. But not only is she the property of someone else, not only is she an actual slave, but spiritually, emotionally, in every meaningful, intangible way, she is not free. She's bound by this demon, bound by this spirit. And let me just remind you and perhaps inform you in case you didn't know, we are that kind of church. We have a healthy respect for the spirit world, and we're not afraid of demons here. If there were demons in the Bible, they didn't all get laid off, right? They're still working. They're still active, right? And so we have a healthy respect for the spirit world. We know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, so we are not afraid. But we know that the enemy is a worthy foe and we uh, do ourselves a favor in uh, respecting the spirit world, particularly this kingdom of darkness. But this woman was bound by a demon. And this demon, for whatever reason, gave her the ability to see the future and to tell fortunes. And so whenever this demon would sort of arrest her, some scholars believe that she would sort of go into a trance and get into this sort of manic thing and start telling people about their future, start revealing their fortune. She was bound by a demonic spirit. And in my ministry career and in my life as a Christian, I've, just, I've, seen, I've met and encountered so many people who have just been under the influence of demonic spirits. Some of them fully possessed to where they, like at will, the spirit just take over their life and they literally are not themselves. It is the very essence of spiritual bondage. She was not free. And Paul had eyes to see it. Silas had eyes to see it. He deals with it. Now, I wish I could tell you that Paul in his tender-hearted apostolic sensibility was walking, just walking through, looking for people to set free. But 
really this woman got deliverance because she had gotten annoying, <laughs> right? She had basically got annoying. She was following Paul and just saying over and over, hey, these guys are great. These guys are awesome. These are people of the most high. And Paul said, enough. Demon, come out of her, right? I don't want to over-spiritualize this. But this woman, this sister, was bound by this enemy, uh, this demon spirit. She was also a slave girl. And so they encountered this woman at the very beginning of the story. And I just wonder how many people around us are bound in perceptible ways that we just simply don't care to see. And I'm not trying to convert you into people who look for a demon under every rock, you know. I I grew up in a church like that. We couldn't have lucky charms because, you know, we're not lucky, we're blessed, you know. I thought, okay, we can't have it because it's $4 a box, but you, you tell yourself whatever you want. <laughs> Everything that was expensive was demonic in my house, so we started figuring it out when we turned teenagers, right? But, you know, but, but this is like a reality. As a person who has a sensitivity to demonic activity and people just acting like strange. Like some people are strange, but some people are like demonic strange. And it's like, no, like we need to come against this. Like, like I need to lean into this. I wonder what you might see in your world if you took this to heart. Who might you be able to minister to if you took this to heart? Now, this isn't just demonic oppression. This is all manners of captivity that would be visible to you if you paused and said, yeah, there are captives everywhere. But that the second part to this that's equally important, and that is that there are captors everywhere. There can, by definition, not be any captives without a captor. There cannot be oppressed people without an oppressor, I'm talking naturally or spiritually. There cannot be captives without there being captors. And so this woman is being held captive. She's not free in a natural sense because she is the property of her slave owners, of her masters. Her captives also happen to be these demons that can just sort of take over her at will and cause her to do whatever they want her to do. Now, we learn in this text that once she was freed, once she was delivered by Paul, casting out this demon, you know, her master or her captor was not particularly excited. Wasn't excited. Verse 19 tells us why. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. And this was helpful to understand, especially in this whole conversation about good trouble, uh, especially as we consider ourselves and walk out this reality that we're called to set the captives free. There are people that are heavily invested in your bondage. There are people who have an interest in you staying bound in chains. And generally, the way you know who those people are is like people who are for you, they're trying to call you out of dysfunction. 
They're trying to call you out of silliness. They're, call, they're trying to call you out of destructive behavior. When you have a moment of freedom, they rejoice. When you overcome something that's kept you stuck, they throw a party. But there are those jokers. And some of them might even have your last name. And some of them might even be your good time buddies that are heavily invested in you staying a fool. Heavily invested in you giving yourself to anybody who will have you. That are heavily invested in you enjoying a substance that will put a steering wheel in your back and steer you wherever. They are heavily invested. There are distinguishing marks of those people who want you to be captive and want you to be bound. They will spend great money to keep you stuck. I'll get the drinks. I'll get the drinks. They'll enable you. And they will weep at the even possibility of you getting free. Such was the case with her master's. They didn't say, at last, this girl is free. She can live a normal life. It tells us that their hopes of wealth were shattered. And in fact, their livelihood was directly connected to her brokenness. Their livelihood was directly connected to her chains. And so this is helpful And necessary if we're going to be good troublemakers. Because if you ever find an oppressed people, you will find an oppressor that benefits greatly from that oppression. And if I wasn't aware of this, it would boggle my mind that I would see somebody uh, kneeling for equality or protesting for something or calling for equal rights or calling for justice or calling for a cease to the, to the slaughtering of innocent lives here and there. It would boggle my mind why anybody would object to that. Why anybody would object to breaking down a system or an institution that keeps some people underneath and has some people at the top. Why somebody would, would have an issue with with, with lessening the wealth gap in America between the haves and have not, it, it would boggle my mind why some people push back against justice, push back against equality, and then I remember if there are oppressed, there is an oppressor that is benefiting from that oppression. Same with the civil rights movement. They say, hey man, we want to sit the front of the bus. We want to sit where we want to play. We pay our money. We want to be able to vote. We want to be able to do this and that and that. And the oppressor says, no, 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 no. We've gotten used to a certain way of life. In slavery, why? You know, America's great for us. And if you're going to get into some good trouble... If you're going to be sneaking around, opening cages, and loosening shackles, you're going to have to contend with the oppressors. I want that to scare you off now. And these oppressors are both natural and supernatural. They are both flesh and bone and spirit. 
with its sex, whether it's substances, whether it's ideas, whether it's toxic relationships, actual captivity, powers that be of this world, there are captors everywhere. And the third thing I want to bring your attention to this morning, that if you decide, and I hope you do decide, to come on mission with God to set captives free, you better believe there also will be trouble. There'll be trouble. It'll be good trouble. But it will be trouble nonetheless. It's true that there's no version of the kingdom life. And this is how you know you're really living it. There's, there's no version of the kingdom life that does not come with some measure of trouble. And it's, the, the reality of this is that, you know, when you were a sinner, when you were in the world, when you were living for yourself, you really had one enemy. And that enemy was God. And God's a good guy. I mean, if you just got to have an enemy, you want a merciful enemy, right? That's longing for your heart to be broken, longing for you to come into the kingdom, longing to shower you with every good gift. Your, your only enemy was God. But when you cross the line and you join Team Jesus and you're a kingdom person, right? All of a sudden, now all of God's enemies, not good guys, are now your enemies. All the enemies of God are now your enemies. And should you go about the kingdom business of loosening shackles and opening uh, cages, there would be trouble. And, and Paul and Silas, they found this out. Verse 22, a mob quickly formed. There's that mob again. Formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. And there was a jailer assigned to them to make sure that these brothers did not escape. This wasn't a slap on the wrist, right? This wasn't them just being sanctioned by Facebook or Twitter. Hey, stop posting that stuff, otherwise, you know. This wasn't just a few of their friends bad-mouthing them. This was like real, like, trouble. They would have lasting scars from this trouble. Criminal records because of this trouble. This is what we're up against. And I just feel led to ask you, when's the last time you got in trouble for, like, being on your kingdom post? I think about that for a second. If there's no version of the kingdom life that doesn't somehow, some way, get you in trouble, get you sideways with somebody, my question to you is, when's the last time you got in good trouble? When's the last time you were attacked for lobbying for the freedom of somebody else? When was the last time you stood up to somebody's oppressor, whether it be, you know, spiritual or natural, and got yourself in some hot water? When's the last time you had to pay anything at all because the stand you chose to take for righteousness? Don't think too hard because many of us, we could think for a week and we wouldn't come up with anything uh, simply because... You know, it's very easy here in the West to just kind of coast through this Christian life. Give a few money, a few dollars to the church, sing a few songs, go serve at the food pantry, but still really stay on the safe side of things. This is precisely what this sermon series is supposed to awaken you to, this reality that we have not been called to a passive existence. We have been called to do 
damage to the kingdom of darkness to actually push it back. And one of the surest signs of that is folks coming up to you and saying, hey, it doesn't take all that. Just what's your deal? Folks cutting you off. It's cutoff season, like everybody's saying, you know, on Facebook, hey, I'm purging. I just want to be like, would you purge me? Because every year we got to deal with you like... <laughs> This is the last time you got into some trouble. And some of you have gotten into trouble. But I'm struck by the way uh, Paul and Silas respond to this trouble. See, it's not enough just to get into trouble, right? Because some of you got into trouble and that stopped your forward progress. You got into some trouble, some people were mad at you, you posted something and people hopped all over you and you said, never again, right? <laughs> But I love how Paul and Silas respond to this, which brings me to the fourth thing I want to pull out today, that the faithful respond with faith. When you, when you get into good trouble and you're convinced, as we talked about last week, that there's a resolve that is taking you, you budget for the trouble, you expect it. When it, when it, when it is right in front of you, the faithful respond with faith. Verse 25 tells us around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, let me pause just here for a second. It seems almost perplexing that they had just been stripped and beaten in the streets, thrown into prison. And this isn't like county jail, you know, or some other prison where you, you know, you got the accommodations and they're taking good care of you. This is like not a nice place, right? What's Paul and Silas doing? They're praying. And it's not like, oh, please get me out of here, Lord. You just get me out of here. It is faithful, fervent prayers. And it's worship. It's singing. It's singing. Now, this could only mean two things. This means that they've likely been here before. So they were counting on this. They weren't at all deterred by this. And they just might have also knew that God has a fantastic way of getting glory out of messes like this. They might have known two things. I'll repeat it again. That this was bound to happen. They'd probably been here before, no doubt, by this time. But they also knew that as people on mission and people on purpose, that God has a unique way of working this out for the good. Not, maybe not their good, but for kingdom good. And so my question to you is, how do you respond when you get into trouble? How do you respond when you get into trouble? And right now, for the purposes of this conversation, I'm not talking about when you, you know, get in trouble that, that you caused, like, that you made bad decisions and stuff like that. That's, that's another conversation. I'm talking about like when you know that you're doing what God called you to do. When you know God said, speak to that issue, deal with that oppressor, go and grab that person and set them free, and you get into some trouble, folks are mad at you, things and forces come against you, an uptick in spiritual warfare because you're on mission, how do you respond? Do you respond by drawing back and receding? Or do you respond as Paul and Silas did with faith, with joy, 
with gladness, with praying, with singing. Because this just wasn't some casual worship. This was apparently the type of thing that shook some things loose. Verse 26 says, Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Oh, that we would worship that way. We're not even locked up. Oh, that when we worship and when we sing, like heaven would come down. And the glory of God would shake us. That it's not too late. We're going to worship a little bit later. Maybe we can induce some of that. But something tells me this was no casual. God save me prayer. Something tells me this was no casual worship. It wasn't routine and mundane. This is the sort of worship and prayers that come from the lips of those souls that have been anchored in the Lord. Those lives that have not just been anchored in the promises of God, but the reality of the call and the mandate to be on mission and to be on purpose. And so there was no sign of retreat at the first sign of trouble. There was no sense that, hey, we better lay low. And this is a common thread we see, right? We saw it last week, Daniel chapter 6. They said, Daniel, if you pray to anybody other than King Darius, bro, you're going, you're going to be lying food. Daniel's timer went off. Beep, 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 beep. Oh, dang, it's time to go pray. And I'm not, shutting the, I'm not shutting the curtains either. I'm going to pray. And these guys press in to their things. The walls are shaken. Every chain falls off. The jailer wakes up, verse 27, to see the prisoner's doors were open wide. He assumes the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. He responds with faith. So far, so good, right? Set the captives free. Get in trouble. Respond in faith. There's one more step to this. Fifth thing I want to point out. That there is glory in the trouble. There is glory in the trouble. And we touched on this last week, and we've seen this faithfully throughout all the stories. And some of us haven't experienced the glory because when the trouble starts, we have a tendency to back away. Isn't that true? And so some of you say, well, this hasn't been true in my life. Well, that's because you haven't pressed through the trouble. It, it could be because you haven't responded in faith or with faithfulness to the trouble. And I'm saying all this, and I'm going through all this, so that you are not surprised when trouble comes. That you might budget for it, that you might expect it, because it's a part of the deal. And I'm just trying to awaken your Christian sensibility to the fact that if you, if you stay the course, if you press through it, the kingdom objective will be made, and we highlighted it last week, is that God will Get the glory. There is glory in the trouble. You say, really? There's glory in the trouble? Not glory for you. You say, oh, man. 
I told you a couple weeks ago that good, one of the marks of good trouble is that it's a noble cause isn't something that benefits you or lifts you up. As a person on mission and as a person doing kingdom stuff, that we are here for the greater glory of God and for the well-being of other people. That's usually how you know if you engaged in good trouble. And so I told you this story is a perfect snapshot of God's glory being made known as a result of the trouble. Verse 29, the jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Now this is the guy who's been charged to making sure they don't escape. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And now these guys have an opportunity to minister the word of the Lord to not just the jailer, but his entire family. And the text doesn't even speak of the other people who are still in their cells, cage open, chains free. Frankly, I think it's the most remarkable part about this story is that those guys didn't take a break for it, right, and run for it. But the glory of God has been made known and shown. But where did this start? It started with them interacting with the slave girl. And loosing her of those demons and setting her free, changing the course of her life. And it would have been nice if the story would have ended there, but God had more work to do here. He had more work to do. And this glory that is shown in the jail only happens, only happens if Paul and Silas didn't get away with upsetting this girl's slave matters. It only happens. And as we saw last week, much of what God, God wants to show us, much of his weight and glory, much of the salvific work that he wants to do in the lives of the people that we have influence over is birthed out of the trouble. There is glory in the trouble. Don't run from the trouble. You say, why are you saying that so much? Because it is the Western way. The, the, the Western Christian way to assume that the path of least resistance is God's will. And that simply does not square with all of Holy Scripture. First sign of trouble, man, God, did. God must be closing that door. No! There's glory in the trouble. And I know that some of you have been stirred by this series. I've talked with several of you, and I just know that this is like, for many of you, you know exactly what God is calling you to lean into. And God is calling us chiefly not to struggle and wrestle with believing the truth of this message, but to deal with the fear of getting into trouble. The fear of losing your reputation. The fear of being known as that crazy Christian at work. Fear of being known as that progressive or that person who maybe you have a family that's 
you know, super racist and super bigoted. And like every time you speak up, you just get hit. And your life, as you've been awakened to the realities of what God has called you to do and what God called you to be, you just keep getting hit over and over and over. And you're not getting invited to stuff. And you, you've gotten a reputation now. And the fear of that and the intimidators that would seek to like come against you as you do this kingdom work has got you like second guessing what God is calling you into. Like, I don't think we need to struggle to receive this message so much as get over the fear of getting in trouble, which is why I remind you every week that God's glory is the fruit, the result of leaning in to this good trouble. And what a waste this would be if we get at the end of this series and we've just had this inspiring pep talk or four pep talks and we don't figure out any tangible, practical ways of walking this out. That would be a tremendous loss. But I feel like the Spirit of the Lord is pushing us towards, nudging us toward being like Paul and Silas, being like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, being like Daniel, fearless, courageous, right? I guess courageous isn't the absence of fear. The presence of courage in the face of fear. And resolve and a stick to because we are what? People on mission, people on purpose, and our lives are to serve what? The greater glory of God and to be a blessing to other people. And the only way we can do that is being on mission and bringing freedom to those who are bound. I told you, they're everywhere. And the challenge in charge to you is what are you going to do with that information? What are you going to do this week? What are you going to do this month to engage that kingdom call? Worship team, you can come up as I pray. Father, I just want to seal this series uh, with just gratitude. I thank you, Father, for awakening our hearts to your heart. Father, I thank you for reminding us that you have not called us to be passive. You have not called us to just sort of fly under the radar and just sort of live and let live. You've called us to be like world changers. You've called us to be pot stirrers. You've called us to be shakers, salt and light. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us, even as we worship today, you would give us real ways that we could not just receive this word, but respond to what you have spoken. Father, make us troublemakers. May your glory be seen and known as a result of our resolve and our determination to be who you've called us to be. Bless us, keep us. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen.